0: To the PAXX podcast available on iTunes. This is episode 35 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby and I'm joined by my co-host Max Flight. Max, how are you doing?
1: Terrific, Mary. Hope you're doing the same. It's springtime or almost summer. Temperatures are going up and uh, life is good.
0: Oh, yes, yes. I see a bit of sunshine here today. It's very exciting. And uh, I'm very excited about this episode. In fact, Max, um, we're, we're doing something a little bit different. It's kind of a special episode where we're going to focus on stories that are quite specifically affecting women in aviation. But before we get started, we'd like to thank eGate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on, like, systems and manual processes. EGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airlines operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With Egate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we're all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at eGate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Binay Wilson, who probably needs no introduction. She's the founder and sole proprietor of Aviation Queen an aviation travel, freelance writing, and consulting business. She's also the air travel expert for About.com, and other freelance clients include USA Today's Today in the Sky blog, AirwaysNews.com, Runway Girl Network, hooray, Airports Council International North America's Centerlines Magazine, Airport Business, Jet Trader Magazine, Airport World Magazine. My God, Benet, you are a busy
2: woman. (laughs) I, I am, I am, but I have a child to feed. So you understand.
0: Oh, I hear you. I hear you, sister. For sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bene, it's uh, great to be speaking with you again. Two of my favorite female aviation journalists at once. I'm, I'm truly blessed.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Max.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a look at some of the news stories making headlines. First, President Barack Obama has signed the Woman Air Force Service Pilot Arlington Inurement Restoration Act that ensures that WASPs will once again be allowed to have their ashes interred at Arlington National Cemetery. Bennett, you've been tracking this story for some time now, and you've covered the news for Runway Girl Network. Why were WASPs ever denied this right in the first place?
2: Max, that is the question to end all questions. I mean... In my story, I ta- in my original story for Runway Girl Network, I talked about the sacrifices that these women made to get this training. I mean, they had to pay for their own training. They, you know, were just, they had to get their own uniforms. They were just treated like dirt for wanting to serve their country. And, you know, after that, they fought and they fought and just, and they finally got the right to have their ashes interred in 2002 and then i mean i we we still don't know why the secretary of the army just decided that no they shouldn't be in there and so they had to start all over again and it just uh, just maddening that peace beggars
0: belief
2: what was this dude thinking He obviously wasn't. Yeah, And, you know, I'm just happy that after all of this fighting and all of this, you know, all all of the public coming out and supporting these women, that the right thing was finally done.
1: There really were a a number of people that got involved in this. Of course, there was the uh, change.org petition. Um, There were a number of other organizations and museums that uh, kind of jumped into this issue. Uh, Back in February on Airplane Geeks, we had uh, Sarah Rickman on the guest. She's the editor of WASP News. Which is published by the Texas Women's University. It's also the home of the official WASP archives, and it was just uh, so fascinating to hear the you know the history of this, uh, how we have the the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, the WAFs, called the originals by many, and how they merged with the Women's Flying Training Department or Detachment rather in 1943, and that became the the wasp the women Air Force service pilots uh, but th- just the the dedication of these women, the fact that uh, a number of them didn 't you know, survive the missions that they that they flew uh, uh, with these uh, military aircraft is you know it's just it 's inspiring in a lot of ways, and to not honor these women, these participants in the war effort uh, fully, it was, it was just a, well, it's almost a crime, you know, it's, a, it's certainly a shame.
0: It really is. But it was edifying to see that both sides of the aisle had to come together for this bill, obviously, that uh, the president just signed, benet That required, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of Republicans as well. What, what What? was the feeling? Is it a bipartisan type of sense to this bill?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, This is one of those rare occasions where both sides of the aisle came together beautifully. Everyone played nicely. Um, The Representative McSally, who is a retired Air Force colonel, so she understood the significance of this bill, and she picked it up in the House. And my retiring Senator, Senator Mikulski, picked it up in the Senate. And I mean, I don't think anybody wanted to be on the wrong side of this bill. So you know in one of those rare cases the 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 gods all came together in favor and got this thing done
0: What's the next step then? I, I've noticed, obviously, and it was included in your very latest article for us, the families, of course, are rejoicing. What are the next steps? Will they be removing uh, you know, some of the deceased uh, remains now to Arlington? Where, where does it go from there? And I understand you may also be attending a service uh, at Arlington.
2: Yes, I did the last interview with Erin Miller, whose grandmother was Elaine Harmon. And as we were talking, at that time, the bill hadn't been signed, but we knew it was going to be. And I asked Erin what was going to be next. And she said, we are going, she has, they have their Grant Elaine's ashes at home, and they are going to bring them to Arlington, and they are going to have a ceremony. And I have to say, I was really surprised and quite honored when Erin invited me to come to the ceremony. So I will be there. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that will be very powerful, I think, Vinay. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes,
0: yes. Well, wonderful. And and Benet, I got to say, you've been just dogged in your support of these women um, on social media and in the articles that you've written for us. And um, I mean, props to you. You've really kept it front and center. And it's actually been really wonderful to see overall general media really got behind this initiative and really pushed for it as well. It was really
2: edifying on a number of levels. Well, you know, Mary, I have to give you credit too, because you're the one who kind of gave me the platform to get it um, disseminated much wider than I would have been able to do by myself. So, you know, yeah. you should give yourself props, too.
0: Well, thanks, Spinay. If Runway Girl Network isn't going to run this stuff, then I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, another uh, item from the recent news is uh, breastfeeding pilots at Frontier Airlines have filed a discrimination lawsuit. They allege that the carrier doesn't provide proper accommodations for them to pump their milk while on the job. Now, here again, B'nai, you've been tracking this story. What's this suit all about?
2: Well, there are these four um, female pilots at Frontier Airlines, and they are all breastfeeding mothers. And, you know, breastfeeding is stressful enough without having to worry about when you're going to be able to do it, if there's going to be a place where you can do it privately, have space to store the milk. I mean, they're just all, I mean, in the best of circumstances, breastfeeding can be very stressful. And all these women were asking for was an accommodation to have a space on the plane if there was a quick turnaround or in the airport if they had a longer layover, to have a place where they could privately pump their breast milk so they can feed their children. I mean, it just seems very simple, cut and dry, you know, but it wasn't. Um, they asked for that accommodation from the airline. The airline basically blew them off. So they have now filed this EEOC um, rule, um, um, lawsuit. It's,
0: uh, it's, a, it's, it's interesting because uh, when we push this story out, Bene, we came under some fire <laughs> on social media. From certain men in industry that, uh, that went so far as to sa- suggest that, uh, women, um, e- that true equality means that, uh, that we don't offer these types of accommodations for women who are breastfeeding. And even went even further than that to suggest that if you're going to have children, then you should focus on your child and not on your job. And I was stunned. I thought this is 2016. And we're hearing this, um, on Twitter. And I mean, that, you know, that takes us back about, what, 50 years? <laughs>
1: At, at least The term that comes to my mind is Neanderthal, but that might be an insult to Neanderthals.
0: Yeah, you know, knuckle dragging, you know, that's what it felt like. And it was kind of stunning. And it got to the point where both myself and Binet tried to react and and respond. And then we just realized there was no convincing someone that inherently does not see the value of providing uh, this type of accommodation for women who are feeding their children. Of course, and as Binet knows, and we both had children, um, you know, breast, Breastfeeding is really uh, in, really enforced in terms of, you know, as being an ideal way to, to give your child nutrition, isn't it, B'nai? From the very beginning, you're, you're kind of told this is the way to go if you can do it. Not everyone can, and I couldn't. After two weeks, we don't need to go into the gory details, but I was not able to continue breastfeeding after two weeks. But that is considered often the ideal Um, And so
2: there's a lot of pressure on women in that regard as well. Am I right? Oh, you are exactly right. Um, Because I had difficulties myself. And I probably did it much longer than I should have because it was stressing me out. It was Mm. causing... Issues, it was stressing my daughter out. And, but you know, you, there is this pressure. I mean, these lactation counselors, and don't flame me. I, if you want to breastfeed, please do. I wanted to, but it was difficult. But there's a lot of pressure from, you know, people who believe strongly in breastfeeding. And that adds to the stress too.
0: It really does. So then you have pressure on both sides because, you know, you're trying to do this and then at the other end, you're also, you know, somewhat reliant on your employer to help kind of facilitate that. Now, Benet, you have some personal experiences with this that you shared in your piece um, about, you know, the different companies that you had worked with and, and how how well they accommodated you.
2: I'm telling you, Delta, and I didn't realize it at the time, but Delta was like the gold standard. I mean, because not only did they, they had a special room for breastfeeding mothers and you had to get the code from HR and it was a lovely room. It had a beautiful refrigerator, had a sink, it had a very lovely, comfortable kind of glider rocker. It had soft lighting and it had an industrial grade pumping machine. So you brought your own equipment and just hooked it up. And it was wonderful. And, you know, people couldn't just wander in there, you know, you had to be a breastfeeding mother. And it was wonderful. And there were accommodations, you know, I had six weeks of paid leave. Um, there was um, access to help with childcare. I mean, it was just, uh, just wonderful. And I didn't realize how good I had it until I left. Mm. Um, when I went to Aviation Week, McGraw-Hill had a good policy for working mothers, too, which I took advantage of. But um, in the D.C. office, we did not have a room for pumping. There were a few of us who were breastfeeding mothers. So the solution was to go into an empty office. And, you know, they had the glass front window, so we had to kind of put a, a sheet up while we were doing it. And there was no special refrigerator. So you had to kind of clearly mark, you know, your, your breast milk because you wouldn't want anybody using oh it for their coffee. Oh, boy. You know. But, you know, we had emergency backup childcare and, you know, accommodations if you needed to work from home. So, you know, it wasn't as good as Delta, but it was up there. But I have heard of companies like Frontier who just do nothing, just don't even acknowledge that a woman has had a baby the argument with that gentleman that we were having on twitter yeah. he was going on about 100% equality and i was like yeah in a perfect world that would be lovely but we are women we do have babies we have breasts that feed those babies men don't have those yes his argument there was inherently it was apples and oranges so but he was just so fixated on the equality, and we're not—you know—these women are not asking for any special treatment. They just want to be able to feed their children. Right?
0: Oh, my goodness, it's so baseline, you it, know. It really
1: is. It really is. Yeah, I, I think there are some people who argue that these days the, the degree to which we've come to accommodate special groups is too extreme. But, and I actually might agree in some cases, but not this one. I mean, this is just. Uh, fundamental. And and a lot of it, I don't know, it could be the fact that people just don't understand uh, men primarily, I would uh, imagine. Uh, Similarly to uh, your experience, Benet, when I was at uh, Pratt & Whitney, we had lactation rooms, uh, same kind of a setup as as you described. And you would very occasionally hear a joke about that room, and you can kind of imagine what that might be. Uh, but it was clearly the exception. Most people understood it. It was, you know, accepted. Uh, th- this is just a very natural, uh, fundamental activity. And uh, I think that uh, Frontier, if they don't kind of, you know, if they lose control of this in the media, that they're going to be in a lot of a lot of trouble with their uh, with their customers. I think they really need to get ahead of this and and you know step up to the plate, as it were.
0: And even more broadly, because, you know, when we had these exchanges about the frontier case, it turns out there are other airlines that need to improve on this as well. So this could be precedent setting, you know, mm. um, and, and I think that that is, is, is part of why it, we're seeing it happening, because there's a situation now where we're all urging, you know, more women and girls to consider aviation as careers. We There's a real push to try and get more women to consider becoming pilots, uh, mechanics, um, and of course management as well. And so these are, this comes along with that push. We need to be able to accommodate these women. And and we can't say on the one hand, more women should become pilots and here's what you should be thinking about. But, you know, you have to make these trade-offs in your life you can't breastfeed your daughter or son. Um, you know, it's ridiculous. Right. Or the
1: maternity leave policies are, uh, you know, onerous, uh, all of that. It, it's more than just you know breastfeeding, but I think it's the yes. right the issues associated with the, the fact that women uh, can be mothers, and there are ways that you can balance you know that that function, that job, let's say, and uh, and a professional career at the same time. Many many companies do that, but still some are just not as good at it as others.
0: And of course many European countries look at us and scratch their head and say w- what they don't still don't have some of this kind of basic stuff for it just it doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. You know, America is way behind on all of these issues and it's time to step up. But that's of course another subject for another time.
2: <laughs> I would add though that I do believe that we need to include fathers in this. Mm. So it's not just pater- maternity leave. I believe in paternity leave too. I mm-hmm. believe that yeah, the, the father playing an active role in the raising of the child should have the same considerations. I mean, obviously they can't breastfeed, but you know, all other aspects of the raising of a child, I think, fathers should have that accommodation too.
1: Agree. Oh, amen. Yep.
2: Absolutely.
1: All right. Uh, one more item. Last but not least, Air France. Management recently came under fire from its flight attendance union for requiring them to wear headscarves as it resumed services to Tehran. Then uh, on our Airplane Geeks podcast, we came under fire a bit on uh, on some of the social media for discussing the issue without including women in the uh, conversation. Well, now I have the opportunity. We can remedy that situation and uh, I'll ask Binet and Mary, what do you ladies uh, think about this issue?
2: Well, I mean, you know, Iran is um, a very secular Muslim country and they have um, just uh, trampled on the rights of women. Um, I strongly disagree with, you know, what they're doing, but that is their country. Um, And you know, if you go to that country, you need to respect those rights. But that being said, um, I also believe that the Air France flight attendants shouldn't be forced to go to that country and wear a headscarf if they don't want. I mean if they agree that you know they when they get off the plane that they will respect the local customs, then more power to them. but if they feel strongly enough that they don't want to do that. I don't think the company should force them to do that.
0: You know, I am in complete agreement here with Binet, completely. Um, You know, I'm in Amish country, so I, uh, you know, we have our own sort of, you know, conservative, uh, covered-headed women here, in Pennsylvania, you know, with the Amish. And um, and uh, if that is a woman's choice, uh, whether they're in the heart of Pennsylvania or they're in uh, Iran or elsewhere – to cover their head uh, due to religious beliefs or modesty or whatnot, um, and that is their choice. Then, by all means, uh, you know I am I am pro that woman's choice. My concern is obviously when it is not the woman's choice, and whether the pressure comes either from the religion or the family or you know society at large to cover up. And of course, we see that in in various uh, places around the world, and and that is a concern. And so then. Uh, you know, g- going a step further and insisting that flight attendants then adhere to, to those uh, customs uh, in a particular country is an even greater concern because they don't adhere to those customs. And so I'm, I'm with Binet on this one. I don't think any flight attendant should be forced. Um, at the same token, however, that also means that flight attendant will probably not be flying those routes because Air France management has been fairly clear that, you know, they, as they do when they fly to Saudi Arabia, that this is, this is just how it rolls. If you're going to be in a, a Muslim country, a staunchly conservative Muslim country in the case of, of um, Saudi Arabia, that you cover up. It's a very tricky issue, but uh, I, I don't think anyone should be forced. And I think that's kind of the key word right there.
1: Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, there are many international companies, not just airlines, where employees have to travel to foreign countries. And I think it's reasonable that if you as an employee uh, are in that situation, that uh, you have to comply with local religion, culture, norms, laws, whatever the case may be. Just because you come from a, a different environment doesn't mean that you can go to the foreign environment and say, hey, I'm going to you know, live life the way I do at home. Uh, but if uh, an employee feels that they can't comply with that, and the question is, yeah, you know, what options exist? How accommodating should the employer be? And maybe that's a decision for the company. But the employee relationship has to be made really clear. Right? Everybody has to know going in. I think uh, how this is going to work. So if you're a flight attendant and uh, you're t- you know the, the understanding is that you may have to fly to foreign countries, there should be really an explicit understanding. I think. Uh, within the company as to what happens if, for whatever reason, you as an employee feel that you cannot comply with the local customs laws, whatever.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, because, I mean, Air France has a global route network. So it doesn't seem that it would be that difficult to for those flight attendants who choose not to wear a headscarf to Iran to just put them on another route. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting. I was in Austria recently, and uh, the Austrian Airlines executives that, w- that we talked to on this trip uh, said that uh, Lufthansa Group um, has had a different experience than um, Air France uh, with respect to these types of issues, and that there is so much excitement among the flight attendant uh, uh, among the flight attendants that um, to go to Iran that um, they're actually kind of uh, gunning for the trips. They then they're more than willing to wear the headscarves because the, just the uh, ability to explore Iran is is so attractive to them. So I thought that it was interesting the contrast between how uh, kind of the the French flight attendant saw it as an infringement on their rights, whereas the German flight attendant saw it as an opportunity to travel and explore, which um, you know is also a cultural situation as well. well there, you know, um, but even you know even more broadly, I would say you know if some of these countries want to enhance tourism, um, I kind of feel like they're leaving money on the table with, being so stringent about the head coverings um saudi arabia for example it was a few years ago i was at a cita conference and um an executive with saudi arabian airlines a lovely guy on stage um you know said mary anytime you want to visit our country you're more than welcome we were all on the same panel and and i thanked him and and but the caveat was that i would need to rent the burqa um before i left the airport and, you know, and fair enough. But I, I thought to myself, that really, um, that really is going to inhibit <laughs> your tourism efforts as you're trying to expand, you know, uh, your airport facilities and also your tourism. And and maybe at the end of the day, you know, so be it. That maybe they don't want me as a tourist there. But um I just, I just wonder as we evolve as humans, as as our thinking evolves, will some of this change in the coming years, and maybe will we see it in our lifetime, where myself or Benet could go to Saudi Arabia and and not wear a head covering?
2: I mean, you know, Mary, with Saudi Arabia, I mean, I I actually would wear a head covering. I would not wear a burqa. I, mm-hmm. It just. It, it, You know, I can show my respect by wearing a scarf and seeing the country, but I'm I'm not going to put on a burqa. I'm just mm-hmm. not. So I guess I won't be going to Saudi Arabia.
1: <laughs> you know, it occurs to me as a as a practical matter for an airline. I mean, we've all agreed, I think, the three of us anyway, on, on this particular uh, issue in this particular circumstance. But uh, what about... The possibility that there could be dozens and dozens of other kinds of objections, uh, a flight attendant, let's say, or a pilot, let's say, uh, doesn't want to fly to a country that engages uh, in whale hunting, for example, because they think that's uh, immoral or you know, wrong on some level. I, I could envision it expanding into this great list where now airlines have to figure out some through some large matrix you know which which crew can fly to which destinations and it, it kind of could get out of hand so i'm just saying that as a as a single issue i mean this one seems logical to us but there is kind of a slippery slope there that if it gets out of hand, it could become unwieldy. Well,
0: I mean, I, I would say – and and I think that this has been covered to a certain d- degree in the press a little bit in terms of if uh, the LBGT community, um, if you're a flight attendant, a gay flight attendant, yes. um, and you're flying to a country that um, e- t- treats – lbgt community in a very poor way um in so far as uh, even making it a criminal activity um I, you know I, I think those issues are are more real and and more addressable and and and, and deserve attention versus someone someone's own personal ex- uh, opinion you know what i mean i mean if you're you know what I mean? Yes, that's different. Yes. I mean, if, you're, if it's your gender or sexuality that, you, you know, they're trying to confine or trying to dictate or trying to fit into some sort of box, you know, that's one issue. I think, you know, your, your personal feelings about, you know, uh, whaling or other subjects is, is something separate. That, that would be how I would look at it. Um, it's complicated, though, isn't it? And you can see it could get very, it could very be. complicated, um, it, which is why we I don't know, which is why I hope we all evolve a little bit on all of these issues. Mm. I yes, agree. Sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, this has been
2: quite a conversation. Um, Mary. Yeah. Can I just throw one more thing in? Yes. I have to give you props again. Um, the story on um Cesar Mamakella um from Why <sighs> Blue Crane Oh that oh I know that's really gone on fire Benet It has I was shocked I mean I you know did I pitched that story to you in January and we wrote it and it went well and then you know we just all moved on mm-hmm. And in the past month and a half the story has caught fire again Mm -hmm. And I mean, I did a Google search and I mean, everyone was writing about it and crediting and linking to Runway Girl Network except one person and I educated them and they switched it. (laughs) And and then you were kind enough to, um, I think it was you and Bernie Baldwin from um, the low cost and regional airline magazine who pointed out that actress Tandy Newton had tweeted the story. Which was awesome.
0: (laughs) It was awesome because, I mean, I saw all of this tra- traffic flowing in from all of these different outlets, you know, and it was kind of just like a surprise, you know. And then uh, when when Miss Newton tweeted it, and then it all, it just all started flooding in t- through Twitter. And it was just, it was just remarkable um, and exciting. And, and just for, for, for readers that, uh, that don't know who we're talking about, Benet, this woman is pretty remarkable, isn't she?
2: Yes, she is the first black woman to start her own airline. She was the first woman on IATA's board in its 70-year history. Um, she ran South African Airways for two years and ran South African Express, and she is on the board of all of these airline associations, and just an amazing woman. I mean, just incredible and you know again thanks to you i got um a tweet a, a direct message on twitter from ebony magazine a friend of mine is one of the editors there and he said we heard about this black woman who run who started her own airline is this true and he sent me a link and it was a story but it, it linked to my story i was like yes it is true and i wrote the story here and they were like well would you write it for us <laughs> Oh, fantastic, fantastic. You know,
0: when when we launched Runway Girl Network, um, you know, I, I had hoped that this part of the website would take off, Benet. You know, I I was very hopeful, um, but in the early days, it wasn't really 100% clear whether it would, whether our promoting of women in aviation, and, and it's just been... It's just been wonderful to see how it has and, and, and redefining what that means by network. When I saw the kind of the tree growing on this particular story and it's spreading out across the web, um, it's exciting and I just feel like we're we're really getting somewhere and getting the message out and and if it, and if all we do is help to inspire, you know, some young girls and women to consider aviation and and to see how other women are doing it and to feel inspired by their stories then
2: I feel like we're doing something really good. So it's Mary it's so true. I'm so glad that you did this and I want you to know that, you know, getting these interviews is much easier now because people have read them. They know ah, what it is that you're doing good. and they know that it's a chance for them to talk about their careers and inspire other women. So again, kudos
0: to you. Ah, thanks, Benet. Thanks a million. Well, I, I really appreciate this has been a, just a great conversation. And I know some of the topics are a bit touchy. So if you have a, if you actually have a comment or you want to weigh in, please feel free to do so in the comment section of this post, because because, you know we understand that there's a lot going on in some of the things that we're talking about and, and we'd love to hear your opinion. Um, you remember, of course, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. And be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at Runway Girl. And if you're thinking about, writing about, uh, experiencing the passenger experience on airlines or at airports, please use the PaxEx hashtag um join in the conversation it's really becoming quite a robust conversation on twitter i'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor egate solutions and i'd like to thank Binay for being our guest Binay, where can listeners find you at
2: oh i'm like visa everywhere you want to be <laughs> um, i'm on i'm on twitter at ave i am one of the three people on google plus at Binay wilson um, I'm on Pinterest at Aviation Queen, I'm on Instagram at Aviation Queen, and I'm on Snapchat at Ave Queen Binet. Ooh, you are Snapchatting. Oh, Mary, please, let's just not <laughs> <I'm> discuss <laughs> My daughter is teaching me, and it's <laughs> um, been interesting.
0: I'm going to have to get my daughter to do the same, because I just thought, how can I bring another social network into the fold? Dear God. Oh, Lord.
1: Oh, dear. And, Benay, are we going to see you at the Innovations in Flight event in June?
2: You most certainly will.
1: Oh, fantastic. So for those of you listening, uh, this is the annual event at the Stephen uh, Udvar-Hazy Center, part of the National Air and Space Museum adjacent to Dulles Airport, June eighteenth, 2016. Come by and say hello. Uh, more at innovationsinflight.si.edu. So with that, we'll ask that you all join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PAXX podcast.
0: Take care, everybody. Thank
2: you.